Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jude Brenner, and you are watching The Monarchist. Hey, Monarch Nation. Thank you for tuning into The Monarchist. Tonight, we are here to review what happened yesterday. JMU wins 37 to 3. The positives we'll get to, the negatives we'll get to. But first, let's welcome in, as always, Aaron and Gary, and our special guest, ODU alum, CAA champion, ODU Hall of Famer, ODU football alum, the original career tackle leader, Craig Wilkins. And welcome interceptions Craig. and interception leader. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I still got all. that. Appreciate y'all. Happy to be on, baby. The real CAA champ of 2012, just in case anyone has any questions about that and its mythical abilities, real CAA champ in 2012. I, I was there that night. I can corroborate that story. There were not many streamers thrown that day. There were no pixies there. There was no fairy dust. <laughs> Nothing was mythical about it. <laughs> All right. So, obviously, JMU... This trounced us yesterday. But before we get to that, we had an amazing tailgate. Toys for Tots collection drive for the Oyster Bowl. I think we can call this a success. We don't have the totals yet, but the amount of toys took a truck, filled up most of the AAV, and two cop cars to get out of the parking lot. I'm not sure how many toys that is, but it's a lot. It's a plethora of toys. And then we need to give a shout out to the Crush Crew. I think that's what they told us to call by Michael Figueros. He and his group racked up, they all donated together $1,400. And then they went to Macy's to go buy the toys. The employees were asking him, why are you buying all these toys? What's going on? So he tells them it's for Toys for Tots. And the employees throw in some more money. So this tailgate group that's just next to us, they brought in over $1,500 worth of toys from Macy's. That's pretty amazing. So props to them. That's awesome. Hey, and that's not even counting the ROTC guys that were walking around with ammo cans. We don't even know how much they collected there. So just big shout out to Monarch Nation for pitching in with us and helping to make the holiday a little bit better for a lot more kids in Hampton Roads. 757 kids last year. Toys for Tots in Hampton Roads helped 19,000 kids. And I'm hoping what ODU was able to do this time will make that number grow even more. And one more shout out to a bunch of coaches and administrative staff at Old Dominion for pitching in and helping us out. Don Manila, women's tennis coach, really just took the bull by the horns and encouraged us by asking if he could get some coaches together and doing a quick video promo. And it really just kind of took off from there so thank you for partnering with us to help the kids and thank you to ODU Sports for supporting it and ODAF for supporting it their promotion of it was awesome but more importantly we got to thank Harry McBrien he set up the AAV he set up the Marines he set up the ROTC kids the midshipmen walking around campus he set up the flyover he's an amazing guy and I'm so happy he's our friend 
Yeah, Harry is awesome. He sent me some pictures earlier today from the cake cutting for the Marine Corps. But a shout out to the Macy's in Lynn Haven. Their employees threw together 200 bucks for additional toys when that crew came in to buy some. And then also Footer Sports Pub over on Princess Anne. They actually donated all the food for our tailgate and supported Toys for Tots this past weekend. So just awesome stuff, community coming together to help the kids out. Like, you know, ideally you want every kid in the 757 to have a nice Christmas. We're doing everything we can to support that. And it was awesome to see the community just come out and support that in any any way that they can. Also, I will thank JMU fans. There were quite a few of them that were dropping cash in the ammo cans, sent money online, brought toys. Just a, a real, real effort from everyone who is there to enjoy that game on Saturday. Just bring some joy to those kids in 757. And I think Harry would be mad at me if we didn't shout out all of the different organizations that helped with the transport of the tank to campus and all of the, like the Norfolk sheriffs, they were the ones driving those toys out of the lot yesterday, taking that stress off the Marines back and our back. But let's, Virginia State Police helped with the road clearance to get them from Virginia Beach, the tank from Virginia Beach to Norfolk. Give me another second to VFA 106, the Gladiators, they did the flyover. They were awesome. They, We've had a, quite a few flyovers over the years that did either miss the stadium or almost miss the stadium, and they were dead center. All right, 11th Battalion, A Company, 4th AA Battalion, Marine Corps Reserves. They also helped with the tank getting moved. So thank you to all of them for helping support us. Thanks to Toys for Tots for coming out and supporting the event. I couldn't be prouder of ODU fans for what we put together yesterday. That was amazing. But any other notable moments for you guys from the game before the game started? Somewhat game-related, but all the seniors that were getting knowledge for senior day, there were a lot of seniors. There were also some juniors who played in their last game on Saturday. Lake Watson was one of them. There were quite a few other ones who I would assume, if they're getting honored at senior day, they're probably not going to be back next season. The senior class and these juniors coming through, they've been through a lot at ODU. I mean, they went through, someone went through four and seven, 111, the COVID year where we didn't play, rebuilding last year and getting to go to the bowl game. And then this season, like if you stuck it out with ODU through really some tough times, probably the, the darkest days of ODU, if you stuck that out and you stayed at ODU, you're, you're an absolute warrior. In my book, you're dedicated to Old Dominion. And just want to say thank you to those seniors, the juniors who are going to be leaving us as well. Because, I mean, some of those juniors had like their master's degree when they were on the field. They were announcing like six different degrees for them. But if you were able to stick through and stay with Old Dominion through all that, man, you've earned nothing but respect in my book. So one of those juniors, Luke Lindenfelder, big shout out to him because his parents have been supporters of the Monarchists for years now. I'm going to miss seeing them at games next year. But shout out to the Lindenfelders and Luke. Hey, just because Luke graduates doesn't mean that tailgate's not open to alumni parents. The Rices will they'll come by a party with the best of them, right? Yes, sir. I, I actually offered Nick Rice a contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars today on Twitter. I told him I'd negotiate 10 years, $200 million, and I was on the phone with Sean Khan right now. Yes, the football alum are definitely welcome. It's actually easier for us if you're an alum to come to the tailgate. All right. So how do we want to talk about this game? Quickly. Break this down. We're going to have a more educated discussion and not just three knuckleheads talking about football. we got a Hall of Famer to talk about football. All right, Craig. 
what is your initial thoughts on what happened yesterday? Initially, just overall analysis. So just from the call things for what they are, CMU was the better team in that game. Um, I guess part of coaching and being able to watch games, even with my bias to ODU, some things are just evident when you watch a game in, in its own film. Like, CMU execution was better. They did what they needed to do. Third down was very key. Their quarterback, I don't want to butcher his last name, Satino. Centeo. Centeo, yeah. Him, it's like he was an athlete. He ran well, but they needed two yards. He could run, dive, get two yards. They needed outside throw. He makes he makes it. He's consistent, reliable. Ironically, like their offense personnel-wise, it was kind of similar to, ironically, the 2012 matchup with Thorpe. Thorpe was kind of a similar similar quarterback, but he was a little bit bigger. So, like, him being able to run, them running a lot, some 12, 13 personnel stuff, and then having a one receiver that kind of blazed things up. Like, it was kind of some – when I watched it, I'm like, huh, not that much alike, but the similarities were there. And that was a big reason why we kind of matched up well 2011 and 2012 with W because they were like a 12, 13 personnel. You kind of you, – you, more your two tight ends. I try to run it. They got the quarterback, so they can add that element of power run. And like normally, if you can lean on somebody long enough and you keep moving the ball three or four yards, becomes a modern version of the offense I hate most, the triple option. Basically, I am just leaning on you and getting four yards a pop. Like I, I'm forever going to get the first down. I don't have to get fancy. I'm basically, I'm. It's a ball fight. I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. That's kind of what it was. Um, up front because it, it wasn't necessarily them driving the D-line back. It was just them constantly making those plays. And when you're not as a big play offense, if you consistently grind people out, you have a better chance of winning, especially with that defense. And the big thing about their defense, I'm like, ironically, I was following JMU because Heatherman, who was my linebacker coach at ODU, was the D coordinator there last year, but he's at Rutgers now. So I kind of was already familiar with what this defense knew and kind of how they played. So, like, seeing it, seeing them play against the ODU offense that is right now, not surprised, uh, especially that D-line. Like, that D-line is – that's a, a high-level Sunbelt D-line where you're talking about D-line that sack-wise. Like, I knew they got some guys inside. And when you're a young D-line, a young offensive line like ODU, the pressure they were getting from those guys, being stronger, more athletic, can't get them on the move, and – when you don't really have to blitz much and you can just sit back and play coverage against a team that's primarily going to run the ball, you just stop the running base, it's a pretty easy day for you on defense. That was not something that we did much. Like We had to blitz a lot in order to stop runs, blitz material plays, that type, that different type of strategy. But ODU defensively, it wasn't like they did really all they could do. I can't say it was something schematically that Jimmy was doing that was better. It was just they were executing on those short downs, those third downs, and they weren't able to get off the field. Drives get extended by occasion, penalties here and there. But at the same time, like a lot of time, those guys were in good positions to make plays, and that's one thing I do to my head off. The new D coordinator, what's his name? I'm I'm sorry, I, these things I should know, but I Tyler. Um, for for ODU, is it, uh, yeah, Styler. yeah, Blake Styler. Yeah, he calls. Yeah, he calls pretty good games. Like I've watch them like schematically like what they do like it's, it's it's a pretty nice operation but yeah i can't say defensively it was like they got out schemed or anything it was just the law of attrition set in they kept making plays 
you can only survive so many 16-play drives before it breaks. Like, it'd be off the field on third down. All those body shots, big. right? You, exactly. you get all the body shots, and then you get that knockout. Yeah, the old box had, and, and that's what that game became. And we threw our own knockout punch with a pick six. Like, that's – in a game like that against a team like that, the last thing you want to do is give TMU an extra possession where your defense is already tired. And they've kind of mustered all they could. It's weird being on this side of it. Yeah. This is very weird. And I mentally was like, oh, man, dang, we might lose to Jamie this year. That just don't sound right with me. But this is a different time. This is 10 years later. And there are different things to work on. Yeah. Jamie executed really well on the offensive side of the ball. Centeo yeah. clearly is back healthy now. Uh, he yeah. missed a couple games. He did not look healthy against Louisville the week before but he was right on the money against us. I mean, 18 for 21, 304 yards passing. Doesn't get much better than that. JMU really did on offense what we have been trying to do all season and cannot do, and that's just take what the defense gives us. Like, we are so in our own heads from an offensive standpoint of we need to do this, we need to do that, instead of coming out, looking at the defense. They're going to give you a five-yard out route. Take that five-yard out route. If they drop an eight in coverage and you've got a three-man front, run for three yards, four yards, whatever it is. JMU really did that, and they picked their spots to then take deep shots once we got sucked in defensively and were, I mean, honestly, gassed because they were on the field so so much. They did a good job of taking advantage of those deep shots, and we just have not been able to replicate on that offense, and they did it very, very well on Saturday. You can't do anything but credit JMU for out performing us, outplaying us, being outcoached. Amy just beat the brakes off of us. There was never a time in that game where I thought that we were in a position to win it or even compete to win that game. And I think that's one of the first times this season where I've been able to say that about this team. Like we've always been able to kind of battle and keep it close. Like even the Marshall game, we couldn't move the football. We didn't score any points, but it was 12 to nothing. And you felt like, all right, seven minutes to go on the clock. We've got the ball. We score a touchdown here. Our defense isn't going to give anything up if they get some momentum from a touchdown but we were just not able to do that at all on the offensive side. Defensively, Craig, you, you nailed it, man. Like, you can only stay out there so long. You can only make so many plays. I thought they hurt themselves a little bit when they got those opportunities for, like, interceptions. Stevie Williams had a great pick. He fumbled. Jason Henderson recovered. We had another interception that could have turned it, and there was a fumble on that return as well. So it's like the 50-50 balls, the weird bounces. We didn't get any of those on top of not playing well, and it was just... It was a tough, tough game to watch as a fan, I'm sure. And being on the sideline there in the fourth quarter, it was tough for those guys on the sideline. Like, they were mad. There was no one screwing around on that sideline. They were pissed. They were very angry. They were trying to get back into the game. Feel for them in this one. But that was just, that was a culmination of a season of really tough offensive play coming to a head against a good team. All right. So... Do we have any positives to take away from this game? First throw out, Ethan Dwayne was amazing again. I think one of you called him the Tress Way of ODU. Yeah, I'm the Commanders fan here in the room, so the blessing to the Commanders is they have a kick-ass punter. And our blessing yesterday was that we have Ethan Dwayne. He has been very good this year. I know last year was a big year of adjustment for him. Being away from home with COVID, not seeing his family for a very, very long time. Finally, his parents got to come over from Australia and see him play in a couple games this year, but he has turned into a really, really nice punter. It seems like he's on an award list. Watch every week now. 
but the hats off to Ethan. He did a phenomenal job yesterday. Also, our other Ethan was one for one in his field goal attempt. So uh, I'll say that that was a bright spot. And we have to credit Jason Henderson. He broke the single season record for tackles in Sunbelt history. And he's well on his way. If he, Yeah. How many you got now? Let's look it up. I'll, I'll look it up, Mike. I saw the numbers. I was like, look, I, I know I ain't got it all the time no more. I lost that to TJ. It's like, that's fine. I think he's at 164 now because he had 18 on Saturday. But he is on track to break the NCAA single season tackle record. 166. 166. What? He How many is away from the record? So it's 191, I believe. So he basically needs doing. 15 in both games. But uh, it sounds like he will do 15 in both games because he his average has been got to been at least 18 points a game. His okay. average right now is 16.6 tackles. Luke Keekley, who has the record, uh, did 15.9 in 2011. Jason right now has 49 more tackles than any other player in the country, and he's playing hurt. 49. 49 would be a good year for one dude. Yeah, and he is he's playing hurt. And that's a, that's his lead right now. It's insane. How many TFLs does he have? That's I need to see those. Those are the numbers I'm curious for. Because I'm like, this is a lot of tackles downfield. Craig, why well, you got to be asking tough questions right now? Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> look, look, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but look, for good reason, I'm like, I need to know the TFLs. It's like it's one thing to make a lot of tackles right, downfield. Give me a second. Give me a second. I'm trying to find the most reliable site. All right. He has 10 tackles for a loss with one sack. And 160 tackles. 166 tackles. 115 of them are assisted tackles. 51 are solo. But the way our defense is built, he the linebackers are built to clean everything Everyone. up. That's what it sounds like. Okay, so yeah, he swarms to the ball. He's maybe blitzed a dozen times the entire season. He is yeah. always that guy that is right behind the nose guard or right in the A gap. Like he it's rare that he's the one that's blitzing. It's usually a safety. It's like Ryan Henry, Stevie Williams, one of the safeties coming in. Like his role is to clean people up. He is just so fast to the ball that if there's a collision, he's likely involved. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And for the reason, like Gary mentioned earlier, the guys are graduating as juniors, they're gonna go work. They're going to skip their last year of eligibility to go to the workforce. We yeah, have other guys so. going pros. We all we have other guys going pro. Still enjoy what you enjoy the few good things we have while we have it. Because Jason Henderson might be living in these record books for a long time after he's gone. Oh, I mean, of course. Look, if he's about to knock down the NCAA record, that's yeah, that's going to stay. That's going to yeah. stay for a while. All right. Gary, Craig, I'm going to let you guys lead off. What areas do we need to focus on moving forward from that JV game the most? Offensively, the fundamentals. I sum it up with that is it's basic execution. You got to be able to complete the short throws. You got to be able to get enough, cover up enough people up front to get those seams on the run game. And like they got two running backs that can do it. Um, it just comes down to basically throwing and catching over the ball. Like it's simple, as simple as that sounds. Like people forget that. Like when you put the ball in the air, it could be interception. 
it be an incomplete pass, or you can catch it. You can run it. If you protect the football, hopefully you don't get yards, right? Hopefully, you know, just get back to the fundamentals in the run game. Get to find whatever play is working well, whether that's getting to the perimeter and jet sweeps, some open it up inside. Like, you have to pick and prod until you figure it out because every week's going to be different. Before, you know, inside zone didn't work well this week, but guess what? Different opponent this week. This might be the week we hit. So, just, you know, getting back to the X's and O's and just executing the fundamentals on offense and then defensively, Probably better, much better on third down. Oh, we got App State this week, don't we? We do. Who has another really talented quarterback in Chase Bryce? Oh, oh my God! Um, and they got dudes, and they got dudes all over the field. App State's underperforming this year really badly. For App State's like level of quality that they've produced, this is a down year for App, and they're still a very talented team. Yeah, and they still will go to a bowl because App. Well, now, part of my coaching history, App has basically owned this in the rivalry. It's 2-0, and basically those two games were Drummond's. Like, uh, oh, they were I, over by the first quarter. Yeah, I became like a closet App State fan, and then I realized we were in the Sun Belt because basically like the way they play football, like the, their transition from SCS to FBS is almost as if no transition happened. It's kind of they picked up where they left off regularly, maybe two, three losses a year, if that. I think they were um, seven and one their first three years. Yes, when they transitioned. Their first up. three years of their transition in the Sun Belt. Yeah, so for them, it's been like – it has been like, no, like, oh, we need to adjust this and that. Like, no, App State has been what they were at FCS. And, like, and they're flipping coaches all the time because their guys keep yeah. getting hired. Yep, because they build quality programs. Like, it's just who they – it's just in that culture down there. And ironically, a lot of former – Coaches are for my state players, so it's like if you do get another job off, it's not as enticing. It's like because you played there, you PA there, now you coach there. Am I quick to leave this job? It's like that's job security down there. Six plus wins a year, always a chance at the Sun Belt Championship. You're probably going to knock off a big school like you did Texas A&M this year, probably every other year at the level that they're recruiting and. Program-wise, they've been pretty consistent. Run the ball, play good defense, and then the, the Bryce kick and let it rip. Um, so, yeah, it's going to have to figure it out this week, boss. It, it don't get no easy. They're 5-5 five and five right now, 2-4 and four in, the, in the conference. We're going to town with a bowl on the line? Yeah. That's all I got. I, I, I have nothing else. I, I, that's right. too much. What kind of gives me some hope about that game is they just played Marshall this past weekend. Marshall put up 28 points on them. Like, as weird as it is to say, App may be the softest defense that we've played in the last three weeks. Not that they are soft by any means, but like Marshall was amazing defensively. JMU was about as strong as you can get defensively. There's no easy games in the Sun Belt. Each week you turn up and you're like, holy shit, we got to play these fucking guys this week? Come on brutal but Marshall was able to put points up on them and they were not able to put points up on us the expectations in my opinion are, are pretty low for us like historically we haven't done well against App State I think last time we went to Boone it was just an absolute beat down down there like it is a tough place to play their fans show up they have a culture of winning down there like they don't care that they're five and five they're like all right ODU's coming to town we're about to be bowl eligible and we're going to go from there like I think all season long we've kind of said at this point in this season, we need to have our six wins. 
because we have to go to App State and to South Alabama, and both those teams are really, really good, and it's going to be tough to get wins there. But I, I think for us, like moving forward, and I know Coach Ronnie said we want to compete and we want to try to win these last two games, but really these last two games, in my opinion, like you find out what your program's actually made of. Are guys going to be resilient and try to bounce back and continue fighting when there's really nothing else on the line to play for? Or are we going to turtle and just kind of pack it in and say, hey, these are our two losses. But like these next two games is where as a coaching staff, you have to figure out what you have on your roster. Like I, I never wanted to advocate for anyone to lose their starting job or anything like that. But I think yeah, we saw Brendan Clark come in at the end of the JMU game when it was out of reach. I think you have to almost start him, not a detriment to Hayden by any means, but I think you have to know what you have there going into the offseason because if, if Brendan Clark has the ability to come out and play and be a, a strong starting quarterback candidate, like we need to know that. But also if, if he's not, we need to know that too because we need to be able to look into the portal like we, we've got one commit right now and it's just a commit, not a signing. It's a freshman quarterback coming in. Clearly the quarterback position is a problem among a host of other problems on the offensive side of the ball right now. But you need to know what you have in Brendan Clark. Like he wasn't available in the preseason, didn't really come back to practice until like the second week of the season, hasn't been ready to go, got to see him a little bit. Like we got to know what we have there so we know what to do with the quarterback position moving forward. Um, I, I like that we rolled out a couple of new packages against JMU. Like we had a split back set that I thought was pretty, pretty good to see that. Like we have Wicks and we have Watson back there. They worked well early, but we really only ran two plays out of it. One was kind of an inside zone read that everybody has seen. And then the other was kind of that swing screen out to the side to watch in which when we ran it early in the game, it was great. But JMU knew that play had been called. They knew it was going to happen. And that's where the pick six. It has a lollipop pass towards the sideline. Like, that's one that you just, I'm sure, Craig, you saw that, and you're like, I would have run that back for a, an interception. Like, you just saw it coming. Um, so we've got to figure out a way to be less predictable on offense. Like, how many times this season have we seen us get a big play for a first down, 10, 15, 20 yards, and then the next play, we line up in the same three-wide set with one tight end and running back, and we run a freaking zone read up the middle. Like, there were five or six instances when that happened on Saturday where JMU blitzed eight people like they blitzed eight against that like they knew that it was going to be a zone read up the middle like I don't know what you expect the offensive line to do what do you expect like Watson to do when it's eight on five basically coming out of the backfield like a play action pass there is probably six on every occasion I don't care like we haven't even talked about the fact that Ollie Jennings didn't play on Saturday and is probably not going to play for the rest of the season but like Amarion Granger he had four catches for 64 we've got some athletes at that receiver position um I think we just got to put them in a position to to make plays and see what we have the rest of the year. So about App and the bowl thing, they are five of five, but they've played two FCS games. So they need to win out to go bowling. So it's even more important for them to beat our ass. Yeah. So technically they're only four and five because you can only count one of the FCS games. Um, but it's a reminder of why having an FCS game on the schedule is so helpful. Yeah, we could be four and five right now because that FCS game, you're not losing. Same time, money is necessary, though. Yeah. All right. Um, and they did announce Ollie is out for the year already, I think. I um, believe yeah. David Hall tweeted that out. 
Yeah, he's he's going to focus on going pro. I think he's going to be a a third, fourth round draft pick. He's going to do some things. Uh, we actually got to chat a little bit with Zach Koontz on the sideline during the fourth quarter on on crutches. I've been around like a lot of college athletes, basketball, football, all that. He's got to be one of the largest human beings I've ever seen outside of like Sam Harris, who used to play basketball for ODU. Like he's just a big dude in a sloppy hat and give him credit. The fourth quarter, he is trying to get the offensive line pumped up. He's over there talking to him. Like I'm, I'm just happy to see him in that still leadership role, even though he's been out for quite a few games, trying to get those guys going on the sideline when it was, it was, it was a rough spot there in the fourth quarter. He's so tall. His crutches look like scaffolding. It's amazing. I think his crutches are taller than me. It's okay to laugh, Gary. <laughs> they were definitely taller than me. I don't, I'm not even going to lie. But Mike, you make a good point about App State. And they need their last two games. They're really important. And we know that we're not going to a bowl game this year. We know we've got a lot of guys that are injured. We've got to know that we've got a lot of young guys that the coaching staff's interested in seeing more out of them and getting them opportunities on the field. And really the story of the week for me is this is kind of our first bowl game of the year. So you have the chance to prevent App State from going to a bowl game. You're really trying to pump up the squad and have a unifying mission on something there as you have the opportunity to make somebody else as unhappy as you were last week at the end of this game. Greg? If we're talking odds, I mean, they go still at one at Coastal Carolina because – FanDuel definitely did not have that one being close. And when I checked the score on my phone, I was like, wait, what? And I saw Blake hauled off three, what, like three, 370 plus hour runs? Yeah, he had like 258 yards or something. He had a lot. It's so much, I can't even count that high. Yeah, because uh, ironically, uh, I, the high school I coached with Ray Lowry, he's one of the running back coaches. So he he told me, he was like, he had 280. I'm like, oh, you sound like he's running like you. Uh, so I looked and then I saw the score. I'm like, okay. Well, hey, you never know. You could get one of those days, especially with App State defense. So, big plays are bound to happen. Never thought I'd be saying that about App State defense, but that is how they look this year. Yeah. I mean, if if we can get some guys in position to make those explosive plays, we can do it. I mean, I think the biggest difference between the Coastal game and our last four games is, like, when Blake Watson gets the ball and he doesn't get hit in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage, he can make some massive plays. So, like, just give him a gap somewhere, outside, inside, whatever. Put him in motion. Just do something to get your playmakers the ball in, like, the tiniest bit of space because you got some dudes that can make some plays. I'm looking at his stats, and I'm shocked he has as many yards as he does. He has 737 yards. It doesn't feel like that, but if you take that Coastal game away, that's probably why. It's it's, it's all that Coastal game. I'd like to see him cr- – Pass a thousand yards again. It's gonna be tough sledding though. Both these teams are pretty good. Can't get behind. Yeah. It's just another game where we had to abandon the run like late in the second quarter, early in the third. How many games has he how many games has he played where he only got like twelve hand carries? Saturday many. was one of them. Yeah. He had eleven carries for twenty seven. Hayden Wolf was our leading rusher with forty eight yards on Saturday. I don't know if you ever want to see that on your stat sheet but i'll say this and like to credit to hayden i think Wolf, the net was 25 because he had sacks yeah we won't count the sack negative yardage come on mike no um i i one thing i will say for hayden this past weekend like 
he made that one run. He slid. He broke his knee brace again like he did at East Carolina. He just threw it to the sideline, and he just seemed a, like a little bit different player when he was out there. Like, like Gary, he didn't just throw it to the sideline or toss to the sideline. He was ferocious in throwing it. Like, he was pissed off at that leg brace. And then he made that run shortly after, and it was very Heineke-esque in coming up with the flex. I thought we were about to see some really big stuff there, but... Yeah, and that was early in the game, and that got the crowd juiced. Like, the crowd was jacked up because, like, one, Hayden ran for a first down, but then also, like, you just saw that confidence that you saw from him in the Coastal Carolina game. Like, that was there at that moment. And the rest of the game, like, he looked more mobile in the pocket. He was not afraid to go take off and run for the first down when he was on third down because I think we saw that against Marshall. Like, he would get to the line of scrimmage and throw a bad pass and, like, something bad would happen with that. So it's like that his binky got tossed to the sideline (laughs) with this knee brace and he just turned into a different player. I wish we would have seen that earlier in this season. I think we're kind of past the point where that matters now. But at least give him credit for for nutting up a little bit in that game and not being afraid to run the football. One thing I like, too, is when he did that, he was still keeping his eyes up, scanning the field, and when he made throws close to the line of scrimmage, because he was still looking to throw it, he really didn't want to run it. But keeping his eyes up, and when he found an open man, he was pretty accurate in most of those throws. We didn't catch them all, but we had good opportunities there. And when it wasn't there, he was willing to run more so than he had been all year. So I take that as a positive going into next season that Hayden's got a whole off season to work. And I think he realizes he can do some things that maybe he didn't realize he could do before or was hesitant to do. And I think that will help him in preparation for next season. So speaking of next season, we have two games. As Gary mentioned, we need to prepare and start working on what's going to happen next year. We got to figure out this quarterback situation. We have other positions we need to start testing guys out at because we're going to be losing quite a few guys on defense. Let's see what these young guys have. The other part of that is we got to start thinking about what all the position groups we need to upgrade or just reload at. Looks like Blake's leaving, so we don't have Lala. Running back group's pretty young, but. Do you go look at the portal for a running back? Do you go look at one for a receiver to replace Ollie Jennings, like a veteran receiver? Because these young receivers got skill, but you need a veteran in there sometimes to help them move along. It was tough for any of our receivers to get open on Saturday. Like a lot of the sacks that you saw were coverage sacks. Like they were getting pressure with their front four and they were dropping seven in coverage and there's just not a whole lot there. So I'll make this pitch to any receiver, tight end, running back, offensive lineman, or tackle who's at a power five and not getting the playing time they want. Like, you can come to Old Dominion next year. You can start, and you can be a stud. Like, Zach Koontz, despite the injury, is going to get drafted. Ollie Jennings is going to get drafted. Like, Tyron Hunt, who is on the offensive line who transferred in from UVA, like, he has a pretty decent chance to play on Sundays as well. As a transfer, you can come to Old Dominion and play right away. There's going to be some stiff competition because we got a lot of good young guys, but I think we're going to be heavy, heavy in the portal in both directions. But I think there's going to be some good guys that we can get and come in. And you're um, right, I think Hunt was from Maryland, my bad. 
the old German was from UVA, the Silmar Rubber team. Yeah, that's right. We also had to add Big Sal is going to the Senior Bowl, which means he is not coming back. And he's going pro. You're in the Senior Bowl. You're going to be at least have a shot to play in the league. You're going to be on someone's roster come preseason next year. So happy for him. That's awesome that he's going to the Senior Bowl. But now I'm thinking about who is replacing Sal. It's like Weaver all over again. So, yeah, it's going to be tough. We got a lot of holes to fill. And you got to tell them we won three games or four games, whatever we end up with, you're recruiting at that. So, at that point, you're recruiting, you, you're just recruiting, you're selling personality, selling the program and what it's going to be. Yeah. It's, as far as the past, it's been kind of spotty. It's not much to really lean on. It's kind of what, what the program is now and what they want it to become. And that's what they sell kids on. You get the right kids in. You got to have people that's willing to fight and grind because if it's one thing, when it ain't going to be easy. It's never has been, never will be. Unfortunately, unfortunately, winning seemed easy when we were doing it <laughs> in those early years. So when you look back and you only lose 10 games over four years, now coach and I can appreciate that much more because – I only had two or three lost seasons. Like everybody's saying, Bama's, Bama's going down. They had a two-loss season. I can't wait until we can say that. Hey, like, oh, my God, we had a two-loss season. Everything's coming down. So it's just being aware of who we are as a program. And definitely offensively having to improve. And defensively, schematically, it seems like everything's going up and up. But you just got to – it's always tough to replace teams. But the portal gives people a chance now. You're the right couple kids. It takes about three or four guys maybe one on each level. You can maybe balance some things out and actually help your team and your culture, but it's also the gift and the curse of the portal. Yeah, that's that's what I think about both ways. There's going to be someone that we really like on the Old Dominion team that transfers out this year. That's going to happen. We know it. Like It is what it is, and if they can go better their position, good for them. From a schedule perspective next year, it's not like things get easier. Like We're going to play eight Sunbelt games, and there's no duds in the Sun Belt, but we also are going to start the season at Virginia Tech. We've got Wake Forest. We've got Buffalo, who's playing well in the MAC. Then we got to go to Liberty, who just took their second loss of the season last week against UConn, and they had just gone to Arkansas and beaten an SEC school. So you've got to be able to work hard because it, there are going to be some tough times with a schedule like that, no matter how good you are. And I'm just curious to see what this team does the next two games. Like, Really, have they bought into that culture that Coach Ronnie has of going 1-0 and trying to get better each week, or is it all going to fall apart? That's what we want to look at. I'm hoping that we're competitive in both those games, like we've been competitive in pretty much every game this season, except this past Saturday. I'm really curious to see how that plays out and if some of these freshmen can step up and earn their spot for next year. All right, fellas. Where do you want to go next? Oh, I was wondering, so we're talking about recruiting. We finally have the new locker room built, right? It's a beautiful new facility in LR Hill. It opened mid-season. Hopefully that helps make the sell to Old Dominion a little bit easier because now you got a beautiful stadium, you got a beautiful locker room, great practice facility, great weight room. Kick-ass fans. The best fans. The only thing we're missing right now is an indoor facility. I know I, you got you got to win before you get into facilities. They end up with probably three straight bowl games, then the indoor facility. Cincinnati style, they just got a facility. They just got an indoor. Wait, 
You said the Bengals just got an indoor facility for the they first time? They just now got an indoor. I only know because I watch Pat McAfee podcast, and he basically has destroyed them for never having an indoor. And I think they just got one this past year. That's the cheapest when they owner made the in Super football. Bowl. That's the cheapest hey, owner in football. Hey, they earned it. <laughs> they got to a Super Bowl. Didn't win it, but it yeah. was an indoor. <laughs> got to earn the indoor with the wins. Get some wins first. Other than that, you need a little bit of code. Tough you up a bit. It was like 80 degrees on Saturday for our last home game of the year. What kind of temperature control do we really need? Virginia yeah, is, that's uh, pretty good. is, yeah, I was sweating. Like I had to put on freaking sunblock for the last game of the year. This is like when I lived in Jacksonville, we, the, the Jags, it was 2016. They were terrible. They played a home game on Christmas Eve. I got the worst sunburn of my freaking life at that Jacksonville game. And they actually won. I was like, all right, no sunblock the rest of the season next year. And then the next year they went into the AFC championship, lost to the Patriots. And I'm just getting roasted on the sideline like, no sunblock. Well, now I know why we struggled the last few weeks because you've been using my sunblock. Clearly, that's the problem. Clearly. It might work for the Jags, man. I don't don't think I got the same mojo. (laughs) All right. So we know what we want to see these next couple weeks. We play app 130 on Saturday. It'll be on ESPN Plus. For those going to the game, God bless you for still going through with that trip. That means you are a true ODU monarch. I hope you have a blast in Boone. I wish I could be there, but I can't be. You guys got any parting words for this discussion? We'll have a little watch party in Richmond for the App State game. Like, I don't care. This team can go 0 and 12. They can go 2 and 10. They can go 12 and 0. I'm going to watch every game, watch every minute of every game. I want them to win. I want to root for these guys. Like when we were down there on the sideline there in the fourth quarter before we came on the field, like I just, I felt for those dudes on the sideline. Like they work hard. They have not quit. They are pissed that they're not winning games. Like you just feel for them. Like you wish there was something you could say or do to try to help them out. But like you could just tell from like the bylines, they were, they were just this mad. And it's just not working this year for them. There's a lot of reasons for it. You can point to a lot of different things, but I'm going to keep rooting for them. I don't care. They, I'm ride or die. Like, I'll root for ODU all day long. So I hope that our fan base over these last two games can appreciate and take that same mindset of, sure, things are not going right, but we want this team to win. We want them to do well, and we want our players to do well. That's the monarchist mentality. We're going to be there. We're going to watch no matter what. Absolutely. We all know when. The team is struggling. The players know when the team is struggling. The coaches know when the team is struggling. We're all educated fans, so we know that as well. But being super negative does not make that any better. Every morning when those guys wake up and they go to the facility and they're watching film or they're practicing, they're not telling themselves, hey, let's see how badly we can lose today. It doesn't work that way. And when we were on the sideline, like you're saying, Gary, if you've never had the opportunity to stand on the sideline a foot away from a hundred plus college football players and the coaching staff, the energy is amazing. It's like being in the middle of a high powered, almost like battle. For those of us been in the military, you're going through some sort of exercise or something going on. It's just, there is a feel and an energy and a buzz that's down there. Even when things weren't going great, it's there. And we need to be there for our team. We need to show up. We need to cheer. 
and you know, just be good fans and be supportive. And doesn't mean you have to be happy when they're losing, but let's try to be part of the solution and not add to the struggle. Yeah, it's really easy to be negative and pile on right now. But before you hit that tweet and you hit post, think about if you want someone to tell you you just did terrible work at your job. Yeah, Mike, you just crapped up that spreadsheet, Mike. I already know what I did wrong. I know. You got that decimal point in the wrong place. I thought the formula dragged all the way down. I'm sorry I didn't. I did the double box check click, and it just didn't work. You just cost us a million dollars, son. Craig, I would imagine that when they went through film review today, they heard plenty of negative feedback from the coaching staff on what went wrong Saturday. How was it like with you coming off the loss? You didn't lose a whole lot, which was very nice for you and that team. But like, what was that like in film study the day after a loss and like seeing that on on camera and hearing it from the coaches? Oh, so like the thing with losing men for us, it was just we took losses so personal. And I can speak to myself, my close group of friends. Like, I wouldn't say the, the majority of the team would possibly agree if you talk to most guys from that year. Like, we took losses very personal because it wasn't a feeling that we were used to. We felt like we worked so hard. You put in so much work and preparation to win the games. And when you do lose, you, you only can sit back and learn from it. Like, uh, a lot of times people always talk about what if and we could have done this and we should have done that. And you understand, like, you lost. You can't get that game back. Like, the 4th and 29,000, like, that loss, from that point forward, we basically had, like, situations in practice. And, like, 4th and 29 became a situation that we regularly rehearsed. So, like, those losses can change. But at the end of the day, it it's, it tests to see who you really are. Because if you're a good team, you lose one time, then you go back in and focus, refocus, figure out what was messed up, fix it, find a way to win. Or do you constantly – say, nah, you point the finger, say, no, but it's not this, this isn't working, or this isn't happening. So at the end of the day, difference from being a player and a coach, like, I felt better being a player because I actually had control in the game. Like, I can make a play that changes the game. As a coach, you just got on a headset. Like, I can scheme and coach you up all week and make sure I got you prepared. At the end of the day, you have to execute as a player. And I remember Coach Norton told me in Seattle, he was like, we can get on the board and draw anything we want, and it looks beautiful to us. We're coaches. Y'all are the X's and O's. Y'all make it work. And that's and sometimes it simply comes down to that. So that's why I always just see it as basic fundamentals and execution. If you can do the basic things, run the ball well, catch the ball when you throw it, then you build up from there. And right now, we're not doing the basic stuff. So once we start executing at that level, then you can think about what's next. But same time, man. I hated losing. I'm not going to say I'm a better loser now, but at this point in life, I'm competitive with my wife in the game. Like he spanks on me at the next four. But I've ex- I, I can accept the loss and can instantly analyze why I messed up and fix and move on from it. But then I used to say loss is personal. Like Michael Jordan, Bulls personal. Like don't, I wasn't a good person to be around after losses, but I can't, I usually stayed away from people after losing just because I took it so personal. Hey, Craig, Mike didn't tell you the rule of the podcast, did he? What? We don't don't talk about that play. Oh, wow. Fourth and 29. No, that's a bad word. Oh, that's just. uh, Yeah, it's it's bad from our group chat, too. We're not even supposed to talk Uh, about it. 
Thank you all. Has, has one came like, up in the game? It's like Bike Club. <laughs> so there, there's a few there's a few moments in ODU football history we don't talk about. I, I will talk about them now, just so we don't make this mistake in the future. That fourth and thirty-five, or fourth and twenty-nine for against Towson, eighty uh, twenty. Ooh, yes. We don't talk about quitting games. We don't talk about quitting games early or that score because that that still stinks. Things were absurd. We also don't talk about punting from our own end of the field with the lead in Charlottesville. Yeah. You mean not punting instead of going for it on fourth down? Yeah. No, I I forget. I forget that that did happen. Yeah. This game that was a game deciding play there. Yeah, we uh we don't talk about them. We should have a P five road win in our history now, but we don't. That's because of that. Should have two. Well, but you know what? We're gonna come out firing next year. We're gonna go to Blacksburg. We're gonna beat that ass. I'm gonna take one at Blacksburg, man. Gary's bold prediction. That'd be so good. Labor Day. Oh, is that season? Next Labor Day. He's gonna open it at Blackbird too? Yeah, next Labor Day. If that happens, Pry might not make it out of that season. But well, we have the same number of Power 5 wins as they do at this point. They are having yeah. a very rough go of it right now. Like, it's brutal. My my wife is a Tech grad and a Tech fan, and I got to commiserate Saturday night with Tech fans, with UVA fans, because all three of us are just not having a good go of it at <laughs> this season, it's not fun Liberty, for anybody. Liberty exam, you are playing the best football in the state, and that is. And if you ever thought you'd say that, it's wild. <laughs> it hurts to just hear that. Hugh Freeze is going to look transition. great. So, is there any moments I'm not thinking of? There's one play that we don't talk about enough. The streaker on that Friday night, that dude had moves. I mean, he. He broke like five security dudes' ankles. Now there was a grandpa who saved his grandson. It was really quick. That guy almost made it out of the what is it, the southwest exit. Yeah. That if was he had talked, if he had talked to me, I would have given him a better exit strategy. <laughs> but the if that garden. was the case, go through the beer garden. Just run through the beer garden. Hop that wall. Go to the beer garden. You're good. You're golden. Yeah, no one's gonna wow. stop you because they ain't they not trying to touch you. <laughs> Let's just say that dude was not exactly in the mood for any kind of advice because unlike a lot of streakers you see, he was butt-ass naked. And he was running out there. Like, there was no holding back. There was sensor bars everywhere. Like, I mean, it. yeah, he, he wasn't looking to get away. He was putting on a show. But, yeah. But, yeah, he throwback. spiked the football. And it wasn't like some of these high-priced guys who have something.com on them because they're trying to draw traffic to their website or something like that. That dude was just, but he had two or three friends that he was traveling around from Canada and were like, Hey dude, go do it. It's tradition or something like that. And yeah, I don't think, have we had a game on a Friday night since then? That yeah. game this year. This year. Oh, okay. How did I forget that already? Yeah, I know. No one ran on the field, but it was, Cause we all took the day off. Feels so long ago. What was that, Craig? It feels so long ago. It was just the beginning of the year. <laughs> also, there's a parallel to the last time we beat Tech. We won four games that season. We're old enough to have uh, outliers now. Is the Tech game worth 
not having a good season. <laughs> ah, that's the double-edged sword. Yeah, that's I know. Because both years you almost beat UVA, and it's like, oh, so we get a Commonwealth sweep. Do you yeah, almost we're, we're, live with getting five wins? It's a the, tough conundrum. So Virginia Tech years are JMU for, year, for years for us. We are yeah. just missed UVA. It's... You kind of have to ask yourself too. Like, we're gonna be playing tech for quite a while. We're gonna play JMU every season. Who do you want to beat more? If you have to pick one of those two, who do you want to beat? You, you, like you beat JMU more because it's the conference. Tech is okay. If tech becomes whatever tech intends on being, you would think us against them. Yes, you want to be competitive every year, but tech, but down year for tech, they're not gonna go to a bowl. Well, for them, in the next year, whatever happens at quarterback, it's something that has to happen at quarterback. Because watching Grant Wills play quarterback, no disrespect to the kid, he should have stayed at Marshall. I'm sorry. He is Craig, I think they took him out. On offense. Okay, that makes sense, then. Yeah. And actually, so, I, had, I, t- I told somebody after watching that first game, I'm like, this kid got three more games probably at quarterback before they have to make a decision. Can't throw, you can't throw yourself out of games like that. Yeah, they just – they don't have anybody else. Like – the best yeah, quarterback they've hooking. had. I'm about to say the best quarterback they've had in that program is probably going to win the Heisman at Tennessee. They say thank you, Justin Fuente. The the other, I would agree with you that I'd rather be JMU just because it's it has so many ramifications. You have the conference standings, but more importantly, we are recruiting against them. For most of our players, we are not recruiting against Tech for many of our guys. We might be. There might be one or two guys we get that could have went there and maybe walked on or been that last-minute recruit they flipped. But, Jamie, we're recruiting against them for probably like 18 of the 25 dudes we're going to have. Yeah, that's maybe a direct not rival. Portal. What's that? That's a direct rival. Like, they're the same conference. Like, at some point, one of those games is going to come down to possibly a conference championship. Yeah, at the very least, we can't get absolutely dog walked by them like we did on Saturday. Yeah. If you're a recruit at that game, or you're just a recruit in general, like you're at 23 or 24, and you watch that game on ESPN Plus, like pretty hard to make the decision to come to Old Dominion after watching that because we just we weren't competitive in it. That was senior day against your rival at home, stay alive for a bowl game, and it was just rough right out the gate. That's tough when you're trying to recruit against those guys because, yeah, Mike, you're right. That's who we're going to recruit against more than even UVA or, or Virginia Tech. Like, we may have some crossovers with some of those three-star guys, but JMU's going to be right there, and it's also really important for the transfer portal. Like, JMU in, in their FCS days, they were so successful because that was the program you went to if you were an FBS guy and you wanted to not sit out a year. Now, the transfer rules have changed. Like, they have to move up to FBS. That's where they get their dudes from, and then... Like we're gonna be competing against them for transfer portal, high school, coaching staff, everything. Like, yeah, you got to at least show that you're competitive against JMU. Aaron, what you got, buddy? Still thinking about that streaker. <laughs> Rally Fox was better. Come on. No, I, I think it's important that we go down to App State this week and play a competitive game. App State's got a lot to fight for this week. And the fellows go down there and they play a good, strong game. We're able to come away with a win. I think it's a really positive thing for our program and our program moving forward. We might as well just forget, at least as fans, forget about this past week. There is nothing 
left to rehash on it. It was a tough game, and it's time to move forward. And we have two games left. They're important. They are important. Even though we aren't bullbound, they're important games. So let's get it. Yeah, let's ruin App's season. Let's get them out. If we're not bowling, let's not let help App bowl. Let's keep them out. That's enough motivation for me to want us to kick their ass. Operation shut down, boom. <laughs> the Motel 6 closed for the season. Ain't leaving a light on for you. Let's ruin someone else's season. Yes. Let's get this dub. No matter who's playing quarterback, we got your back. Let's go, Monarchs. Let's go 1-0. and Let's do it. Go, Monarchs. CDG, go, Monarchs. Hey. Oh, Dominion, hail. Hail.